Thank you, team, for leading us in worship so well, getting to worship our living God, who we serve and who we're here to worship today. And may that continue on. And let me just remind you that we receive an offering every Sunday. We, we don't pass the plate, but we do have an offering box at the back so that you can support missions around the world and missions in North America and, and right here in, in, the new, in the 370 Valley. Uh, my name is Bob Burton. I know some of you are guests here, and we're really glad to have you and just so thrilled to have you. And, and, and I don't do this very often, but I am going to spotlight a guest that's here. Um, Kevin and his family have come from all over the, the, the map in the United States. They have been touring the country in a camper and going to all of our SEND cities. You probably heard me talk about the cities all across North America that we've had a focus on for the last 10 years and there's been over 9,400 ch- churches planted in the last 10 years in those cities across, uh, and, and in other regions across. The, the, but they've been able to go visit church plants, document it, and, uh, and, and they've got, they got a website, and they're doing videos and stuff, and it's really cool. So I'm looking forward to get to know them a little bit after the service, and, and uh, we're just so glad you, uh, Kevin and Casey, and all the girls are here to worship with us today. And so thank you for joining us. And I see that you survived, Kelsey and Natty. Natty, where's that? He must be helping in back, I guess. But Natty, uh, Natty's eating good, I'm sure. So uh, we are so thankful for uh, Gene and Amanda and for the trip that they're getting to take. And hey, Gene, Amanda, we say hi. Thank you for doing the videos. Thank you for doing the pictures and sending them to us. The last pictures I got this morning were from the day they were spending on the Sea of Galilee and and getting to see all that area. How cool. I am so jealous. I wish I was there with you. Um, We're grateful for that. Um, Another thing that I'd just like before I dive into the word here is to just let you know small groups are tonight. And uh, and we'll be meeting at the Wesley's house. And that's at what time? 530. And so if you have any questions about that or need to know more, let us know and come join us. And uh, we always have good food and good spiritual food around the Word of God as we're studying through Ecclesiastes together. So, taco, that's right, Taco Sunday. So, uh, tacos will be provided and you bring all the other stuff that goes with it. So, right? Thank you guys for hosting again, too. You know, somebody parked a bus right in front of here. Did you notice that? <laughs> you think somebody might be, like, wanting to show that thing off a little bit? <laughs> God has blessed true life in so many ways. Um, about nine years ago, my wife and I moved here, and in our living room, the church had its beginnings, and we have come to this point to where we've seen God do so much, and, and I am thrilled. you know why the bus is called Rosie? Because it was given to us by Rosedale um, Baptist Church in southern Missouri, and they, I, I'm sure that's why it's called Rosie. Um, and I want to thank Craftsman Business over here, where Mark Mills works, and, and for their generosity to take care of that for us, and, and it's such a blessing. And, and I'm a bus kid. Um, back in 1976, 75, in those ranges, I would be running out to the bus, half-dressed, getting my clothes on, as the church would pick me up in this big blue school bus. And I started going to church and started hearing the gospel and hearing the good news about Jesus. And so I'm praying that that bus is going to be pulling up, loaded with kids and adults and people that need a ride to church, 
that might not go otherwise. And it, I know it's going to be used for the mission trips, for the youth group trips, and all kinds of other things. And we just appreciate the generosity. And Rosedale Baptist Church represents literally, I'm going to guess, probably 50 or more churches that have done something for us here. The chairs you're sitting in, the sound equipment, the baptismal. Um, I, I could go on with all the things that have been given to us from our partner churches, and we are grateful to be a part of that big family that we work together to see the gospel advance and people come to Jesus. So give God just praise and thank him for what he's done. Amen? Let's do that. Gene and I had a little conversation last Sunday, and I told him, I said, I am so grateful for how you have been growing as a preacher and learning and developing. And I remember his first sermons here when we were meeting in the, in the chapel. And I remember there was a little thing that, and Kelsey will remember this, but it was like when Gene was preaching, he would kind of do this a lot. And he would just, it was a little thing. And, and, and part of being a big brother to him and in the Lord is I, we all try to help and say, okay, we want to do the best we can do. And we all, we all are growing and learning in that area. And one of the things that I suggested to him was, Gene, look at preaching through books of the Bible. Because you'll always, you'll always, you'll, you'll not preach your favorite subjects, so to speak. You'll have to deal with some difficult things. And you'll also, um, you'll also get a well-balanced diet for the church. And Gene has been doing that for us the last five years here. And it's been a real blessing to see how he breaks open the word, reads the word, and gives us the scripture. And we know where we're going to be. And, and so today I have First John chapter 5. And I'm going to begin where he left off last Sunday in verse 13. But I want to just say thanks, Gene, for giving me one of the most difficult passages in all of Scripture to deal with. Okay? And, uh, and I have been wrestling with this and praying it through and, and seeking the Lord's direction on how it needs to be presented to you today. And so I come to you wanting to have the tone that John had. And we all know we've been in 1 John for quite a while already, and we know that John was all about love, love one another, and he would proclaim the Son of God, and he was so simple in the way he put things, light and darkness, love and hate, and, and just where, where a child can understand it, and yet it's too deep for an adult to ever exhaust, because when we walk with the Lord, we know. And the word know, for example, is used 38 times in 1 John. And in this particular passage that I have closing out 1 John from verses 13 to verse 21, it is used seven times. So it is one of John's favorite words. But it's not just any kind of word like I say that I know something. In fact, I, I, had, a, I had some things done just recently. Um, about a year ago, I'm in the appendix-less crowd like you. And, and I remember... Um, my doctor wheeling me down, and I asked him, how many of these have you done? And he said about 2,000. I was really glad to hear that, because if he's going to say this is my second one or my third one, I was going to be a little nervous. And, uh, but if he would have said, well, I think so, or I hope so, you know, he, he knew. He knew. There was a knowing that he had. My mechanic worked on my brakes. Um, Bud down the road here, Bud and Anthony at, at Affordable Automotive, and I give a little shout out to those guys. But as we were, as he worked on my car, um, he fixed my brakes. I wanted to know that my brakes were fixed. I didn't want somebody that hoped so or thought that they are, I think they're fixed. I hope so. No, there was a confidence that they had. They knew that it was fixed. 
I flew on a plane just recently going to uh, South Dakota and, and had, had different legs. I had to go through Chicago and South Dakota, and then I went South Dakota, Denver, and back. So, you know, the airlines take you all over to get to, it seems like the straight path would be the best way, but it's not. But I want a pilot, and I want mechanics that don't think the plane's going to be all right or think that we're going to get to Denver or hope so. I want somebody that knows so. And they've been trained, and they, they have experience, and they're ready to do that. In fact, the New Testament word for the word know has the meaning of experiential knowledge. It's not just head knowledge. It's, it's just not something you know about. It's something you know experientially. And when John uses this word through 1 John throughout, it's not I think so, it's not I hope so, but it's a, I know so. There's a knowing and I remember as a young pastor going to nursing homes because I, I had left. I'd been a church planner in Havana, Illinois. And I was in Havana, Illinois, single. And that's where I ended up meeting Dana. And, and when I was there, um, I came back to my home church to be the associate pastor of youth and education, kind of in a role like Doug's in now for us. And when I came back... I, I wasn't getting to preach every Sunday. Before, I was preaching every Sunday, but now I, I'm only preaching maybe once a month. And so I, I thought, I'm going to go to the nursing homes and preach. They're a captive audience. They're going to help me. I get the opportunities to preach. And I had, I had three nursing homes that I went to, and it just was a great experience to get to go do that. It taught me, you know, to really, you know, so if I put you to sleep, they can put them to sleep, you know. So, but in preaching to them, we would, I would also bring my guitar and sing some songs for them. And I would do when the roll is called up yonder every once in a while. And there was a lady, and if you know the words to that old hymn, it goes, When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, and time shall be no more, when the right eternal gathers by and fair. But the chorus goes like this, When the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. You know that? You know that song, right? Some of you are nodding your head. Okay. Well, there's this lady that would always say, she'd say it out loud too. Well, I hope so. (laughs) I hope so. It's not about hope so today. It's not about I think. This is a message about assurance today. And as I come to you too, as I I think about John and his tone, we don't have the tone that John delivered this letter with, these words. We can't know. I know he wasn't shouting and yelling when he delivered this. I know it was, was a gentle and tender tone that he addressed these people with, and this is a very serious subject that we're going to address today. It was also a, a, a conversation. Have you ever listened to somebody on the phone talking, and they're like saying stuff, but you don't know the other end of the conversation, what they're saying, and so you're just having to kind of piece things together. In many ways, when we have a difficult passage like this in the particular area we're going to look at, it's like we don't know what they already knew and what, what was going on the other side of that line. And so it's important for us to realize the Holy Spirit will show us. The Holy Spirit, I think, was intentional by not giving us some specific, and you'll see that in a moment, so that we really can have assurance and that we do, don't take for granted God's grace to us and take for granted what he's doing in our life and, and really have a holy fear of God and who he is. And so... Without any further ado, I want to get to this passage and just start walking through it with you. And I've titled this sermon, Know Beyond a Shadow of a Doubt. And you can know if you're saved and you know Jesus Christ beyond a shadow of a doubt. I believe that we can have an assurance of salvation. And let me tell you why. Because what we have right here in these verses. 
beginning with verse 13. It says, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Man, can't get any plainer than that, can you? Let me read that one more time. I have written this. Now, what has he written? 1 John 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. He's written five chapters for us so that we might, so this to those, to, the, to this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may have eternal life. Now, just look and you got your Bibles open, I hope there. If you look at the next verses up, this is where Gene was at last Sunday. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever has not the son, God's son, does not have life. Well, how much more plain can I be again? You got Jesus, you got the son, you got life. You don't have Jesus, you don't have the son, you don't have life. Can it be any simpler? He laid it right out before us. Think of the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Nicodemus, this encounter that, that he had with, with Jesus, he sought him out after dark. He came to Jesus, and Jesus talked to him about being born again. Born again might be a foreign phrase to you. You may not, not ever heard of that. In fact, there are, there are folks that kind of get a little squeamish when you talk about being born again. But Jesus told him, except you be born again, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, he said it twice. He said, you can't even see the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. So being born a second time is essential to go into heaven. And in that same passage, we have the beautiful verse that many of us know, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's right there. And the new birth, Nicodemus was like scratching his head trying to figure out, well, how does this work? You crawl back into your mother's womb and be born a second time? How is that possible? And Jesus said something, and all of us experienced this yesterday. The wind was really whipping, wasn't it? The wind was going, I mean, in Chicago it was 70 miles an hour. We had 50 mile an hour wind gusts at times. Rich and Mark, I don't know if you took a bike ride, but I waited till later in the day to take a bike ride. But I would have got blown away with the, on the bike. But when we think about the wind, Jesus used this story to illustrate to Nicodemus. You see the wind, you can't see the wind, but you see the effects of the wind. You can't see it, but you see the effects. I've got my leaves done. How about you? <laughs> okay. And it was kind of the other day when it was still windy. I was putting them in those big bags. And as I'm putting them in there, the wind is catching them and they're flying. And I'm like, go, Leafs, go. You know, they're like, go, go somewhere else, not in my yard. And, uh, and then I kind of have fun with that wind, that blower. I got an electric one where you blow them and they blow, get them going. And it's like, it's fun. Do it's, it, you have fun raking leaves or not? Okay, I'm not getting a lot of good response there. <laughs> okay. But I do see the wind moving. And when the Holy Spirit is moving in our midst, we may not see him physically, but we'll see people coming to Jesus and their lives being transformed, delivered from addictions, delivered from an old lifestyle, given a new nature. Oh, they still have the old nature. They have the old sin nature, but there's a, 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 the new nature. They're a new creation in Christ. And do you know, I quoted John 3.16, when does eternal life begin for the believer? 
It begins that moment you receive Jesus Christ and his sacrifice that he made for you on the cross. I, I was reading this week in preparation of this sermon, and I, I came across something which is so cool. I'm fascinated by words, and there's a, wor- there's a terminology for this. It's called hetero- heteroim, and I know I'm probably butchering that word. But it's when a word is spelled the same, but by the virtue of how it's pronounced, there is a different meaning. And in the word present and present is spelled the same, but depends on how you say it. Do you get that? And we have been presented the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it is a present. It is not only presented to us, but it is a present. And God is seeking you out. The Holy Spirit is moving like the wind and moving in our midst and calling you to himself, to salvation, and lifting up Jesus. And and you can know that you have eternal life because you were there when it happened. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, great verse. Great verse. I'm going to read this one to you because this is the gospel in a nutshell. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says this. God says, and this is the message. I got new glasses, so I've got to tilt my head just right so I can get the, the up-close views. And this is the very message about faith that we preach in verse 9. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Amen. And we can read a little further in verse 13. says, Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's the good news of the gospel. And for me, I was 17 years old, senior in high school, in my bedroom, reading the gospel of John, and I called upon Jesus to save me. That experience happened in my life. That's when I was born again. That's when my spiritual birth certificate was signed and sealed by Jesus. And my new life, my eternal life, started right then. And when I die, my eternal life is going to keep going on. And with Jesus and being with him. And so you can know that you have eternal life. Can you rest in your sonship? Rest in knowing that you are a son or a daughter of God. Not everyone is a child of God. Don't let the world fool you and say, oh, we're just all God's children. You are God's children by adoption and by birth. We are all created by God, yes, but we are not all God's children. Because Ephesians is very clear about that. Before you knew Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sin, and you were a child of disobedience. And Jesus went so far as to say that your father is the devil. And so you're either a child of God, you're either on that side, or you're on the other side, you're not a child of God. But you're in the right place today. Because you're hearing the good news of the gospel. And right where you sit, you can receive Christ and present yourself to him. And receive the present that he has for you, that gift of salvation. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And those wages are still the same today, even with inflation. It's not changed a bit. Sin brings death. And, there, and the death started with Adam and Eve in the garden, and it continues with every one of us because we're born into sin. 
and we need a Savior. That's why Jesus had to die. Man, that's good news. Did that get you excited today? Just to know that that's, that's, that's God loved us that much. Now, I must quickly move on because that's my second point is coming now. Know that God answers your prayer. You can know beyond a shadow of doubt that you know Jesus because you have the Son and you have the life. But you can also know because you know God hears and answers prayer. I love this verse about prayer. It says right here, back here to, again, eye adjustment. It says, and we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him or anything according to his will. And since we know he hears us when we make our request, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. Do you believe that God answers prayer? Have you seen answered prayer in your life? I don't know if you're like me. Sometimes I've had these thoughts before, and I know they're wrong, but it's like I don't want to bother God with this. It may be too small, and he's got greater things to deal with than my little request. Or sometimes it's like I had, I had somebody actually this week say, pray that I win that lottery. <laughs> okay. And, you know, it's not the genie. There was a show in the 70s I remember watching. It was I Dream of Genie. Remember that? had that bottle, and he'd rub that bottle, and the genie would pop out. Now, for, for you that are older, Aladdin, you know, Aladdin uh, for the kids, the kids' version of that. The whole idea is that Aladdin rubs, you rub that, 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 uh, that vase or whatever it's called, and then all of a sudden, the genie pops out, and you got three wishes to be granted. And, and you've all heard that before. I'm very sad to say, I think that's how a lot of people treat prayer. And God's like this big genie that, you know, you got all these wishes and he'll grant you wish, wish after wish after wish after wish. Or he's like a big vending machine in the sky and I just cash in and give what I want. Or I can actually order him around and say, God, I deserve a new BMW. Or God, I deserve a new house. Or God, I deserve to win the lottery. Whatever. And, and you just boss God around telling him this is, that's not prayer, folks. Prayer is about communion with God. It's about relationship with God. It's about talking to God and listening to God. Prayer is praying back the scriptures to him. Prayer is hearing what he has to say to you in the word. It's abiding in the word. John 15, 7 says, abide in me and my word abides in you. You shall ask whatsoever you will and it will be done for you. A lot of people take verses and mess them up. A good example, Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord. Man, I'm going to get, get him eventually. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Thank you, Melanie. And Gene doesn't wave his arms. Okay. And he will give you the desires of your heart. There's a lot of people in Christian circles that will take that verse and says, Well, hey, I just delight in the Lord. I'm going to get whatever I want. You don't read the verses before that in Psalm 37, and you don't read the verses after. Because if you did, you would see that it says, commit yourself to the Lord, or, or do good and you shall dwell in the land. And there, there are promises that you would need to be in a right relationship with God and be in alignment with Him. Because when you're in alignment with Him, you're delighting yourself in the Lord. And then His desires are going to be your desires, instead of your desires being His desires. We get it all flip-flopped around. Prayer is about talking to God, and again, I could spend so much time in this, this, this thought right here about this, but he does hear, and he does tell us to ask according to, to um, um, as, as he gives us that. that. And uh, George Mueller, great man of prayer in history. You can read his biography, great man that 
did, a, did children's homes everywhere and all supported through his prayer ministry. God did all this stuff. And he made this statement, and I love this. He said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of his willingness. God is not reluctant to bless you. It's, he's a father. In fact, the Lord's Prayer says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. It's about his will. We see him illustrating prayer about the father providing for his children. And on and on we could go with example after example. And it's, again, asking. God will always answer your prayers. He may say yes. He may say no. He may say wait. Or he may just say this one, which I think is really cool. Here's something so much better. That's our God. He's a father. He's not going to give us a rock or a stone or a serpent. He's going to give us bread, fish, and an egg. You know, he's not going to give us things that are, that are going to hurt us and harm us. Our God will take care of us. You got any need in your life? He will take care of that need today. And this is present tense. We are confident. And that word confident has the, the idea of, makes me go to Hebrews 4.16. It says, we come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace in our time of need. He meets our needs, and we can go to his throne, and we have access to him. So you can know that you know because you know the Son, and you can also know that you know because you know God answers your prayers, and you have that ongoing communication, communion with him. You can also know that you know. Let me say this one more thing about prayer. There are some things that will hinder our prayer life, and it's, it's sin. It all revolves around sin. And there's some examples. Psalm 66, 18 says that if I harbor sin in my heart, you will not hear me, God. We read in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7, that if our relationship with our spouse is not right, especially husbands, it's directed to husbands, that your prayers will be hindered if you are not living with your wife according to understanding. So don't expect your prayers to be answered if you're not in right relationship with one another. And then we also see here in Matthew 5, 23 through 25, that if somebody has something against you, if a relationship is broken, you've got to leave your gift at the altar, go get it right, and then you can worship, then you can ask in prayer. And in John 15, 7, abiding in the word and abiding in him. If you're not doing those things, you're not, you, you don't, don't expect your prayers to be answered. But if you are doing these things, we can't expect God to hear and to answer our prayers. The third thing here is no victory over your sin. This is one that's a little, this is where I kind of threw this on Gene a little bit, saying thanks for giving me this hard passage. Because I'm going to just read the passage and just share it with you, and then, then we'll talk about it. If you see a fellow believer sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give that person life. But there is a sin that leads to death. And I'm not saying you should pray for those who commit it. All wicked actions are sin, but every sin leads to death. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, for God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. We know that we are children of God, and the world around us is under the control or the sway of the evil one. Now, victory over sin. This is not talking about a sin that, like what we would call a besetting sin. All of us have sins that some people may have more issues with their anger. Some may have issue with lust. And they struggle with that and they fight that and they, they battle with that all the time. That's, that's not what we're talking about here. 
because we're talking about living above it. Yes, we are, and having victory, but it's not, that's not a sin unto death. A sin unto death is, not also, is also, I don't believe, a, uh, like the unpardonable sin that we, read, that we heard about last week when Pastor Gene refers back to Mark's gospel, where if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit and reject Christ, you've committed this sin that can never be forgiven. And that is true. That is the scripture teaches that. But that's for an unbeliever. Because right here in this passage, he's addressing brothers. He's addressing the church. He's speaking to Christians here. He's not talking about unbelievers. So that's not the explanation of it. Some who believe you can lose your salvation, and there are brothers and sisters in the body that believe you can lose salvation. I don't believe that. That's a whole other sermon, and we don't have time to go there. But I can tell you that I'll give you just a few things. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit to the day of redemption. We've been adopted through Christ, and, and we have adoption. We're sonship, and, and, and we are disciplined by our Father in Hebrews 12. If you're, if you're not living right, if you're not his, he won't discipline you. If you're his, he'll discipline you. And we also know that Jesus said that you're in my, my hand and the Father's hand, and no man, nothing, not even Satan, can pluck you out of the Father's hand. And that's just a few verses on eternal security and the truth that we have this secure. But there are those who believe you can lose your salvation. They would reference Hebrews 6 and some other passages and say that these are people that were saved and then they lost their salvation. I don't believe this is what John is teaching here. But then I I see here what I do think he is teaching here, that there is such a sin that you could commit as a believer And we don't know what it is. It's not a specific sin. It's a kind of sin. And only God knows what that is. Because when you study Scripture, you need to look at the whole of Scripture. And so give you some examples of people that committed, I believe, a sin unto death. Abub and uh, Abib, the two sons of Aaron. They offered a strange sacrifice to the Lord, and they were struck down right there in the tabernacle. We also see David when he got the ark back and he put it on an ox cart and didn't follow the instructions of the scripture and didn't carry it with the poles and Uzziah was right by it and it started to tilt and come off and he tried to catch it. He was struck down dead right there. Uh, One earlier than that is Achan who had tucked when they had taken Jericho. He tucked some stuff for himself and hid it under his uh, carpet and, and he had these things and said... And, and he ended up dying from this. But you're saying, oh, that's Old Testament. Well, how about New Testament? Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. They had lied to the Holy Spirit. They were hip, hip, being hip, hypocritical. They were trying to impress people and give the impression that they had already, that they'd given just like everybody else had given. And then, as an example, they were struck down and died right on the spot. And it really got the church's attention. Now, does God do that today? If he did, across the board, in a general sense, all of us would be dead, wouldn't we? We wouldn't have a chance. But does God chastise those who know him and are his children? Yes. God brings discipline upon his children. Why does he do that? In order to bring us back to him and get us in line with him. What if discipline doesn't work? What if you reject that and reject that? God may allow circumstances in your life, a catastrophe, to get your attention. But hear me loud and clear. Just because you have a catastrophe in your life does not mean that God has forsaken you. 
because Job is the prime example. Job, here he was, a righteous man. He suffered because he was, he was a servant of God and a man of integrity and a man that loved God. So we got to wrestle with that a little bit and realize that we just don't make blanket statements here. But what I do want to make statement to you is, and you say, oh, you only use Ananias and Sapphira. Well, in the Lord's Supper, which we're going to receive here in just a moment, the Lord's Supper, the instructions were given to take it in a worthy manner. And if you didn't take it in a worthy manner, there was an, a very stern warning. And, and that warning said that if you don't receive this in the right manner, because they were coming treating it like a party. They were treating it lightly. And he said, because of this, many of you are sick and some of you have even died. And then we read in the same letter to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 5, how that this man that was in incest relationship, he ended up being excommunicated, put out from the body, and Paul said, let it be for the destruction of the flesh so that he might be saved, his soul might be saved. So I'm just telling you, that's in the scripture, and that's probably the the challenge that we have. But here, don't miss this. John says, pray for those people. You see a brother sinning, pray for them. You see somebody not walking right with the Lord, pray for them. You see some sin in their life, pray for them. And let the Lord take care of it. Let the Lord deal with it in the way that he's going to deal with it. I think we do suffer from a lack of fear of the Holy One, our Holy God. I think we take him for granted. And I think we live in a dangerous place. I heard one guy say, well, how do you know you've committed the sin and the death? Well, you close your eyes and you open your eyes and you see Jesus, you may have committed that sin. (laughs) But I want to tell you, there is grace and there is victory over sin because we don't practice sin as christians we live above sin that's what that's what he said over and over again in this it's not a habitual practice that we do we live above sin it doesn't have dominion over us and i'm thankful for that aren't you if you know you know you know what i'm talking about and you know this i think paul paul uh, john here would say if you knew what was good for you you would pray for those that you see and you would do everything you can to live above sin and rely on the Holy Spirit and not let the old nature win out, but let the new nature win out in your walk with Christ. Last but not least, we need to know Jesus Christ as the only true God. And he wraps us up this letter and he says, And we know that the Son of God has come and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now, and now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God, and he is eternal life. And then he says, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Stay away from idols. He's telling us that Jesus Christ is God. He's the true God. This is one of the best places to show the deity of Christ. Jesus is the true God. And because he's the true God, he's given us eternal life. And we can have a relationship. That's what fellowship means. We have a relationship with him. And out of that relationship flows a, I don't want anything in my life to take the place of that relationship. You know, if I I stood before a judge and the judge told me, prove to me that you're married. Prove to me that you're married. I could say to them, well, I was, it was on May 20th, 1989 at Ridgeview Baptist Church in Danville, Illinois, that I saw my wonderful, beautiful bride come down the aisle, and we said our vows together. We exchanged rings. 
I, it was such a great feeling. I just can't, I can't describe what that means. And, and we've had a wonderful life together and been able to, to enjoy each other for 33 years. Well, the judge would say, well, that's feelings. What, can, you, can you give me anything fact? Well, I could go to get the marriage certificate and show them the marriage certificate and show them that. I could show them the ring that symbolizes the fact that we're husband and wife. But it really comes down to a relationship, that we have a relationship together and we know each other and we, and we enjoy life together and walk together. And that's what this is talking about. Jesus is the only way to salvation. There's not multiple paths and multiple ways. He's the only way. It's not about religion, but it's about a person. I want to ask you just to test yourself today and see where you're at. Do you know eternal life? Do you know Jesus? Have you been born again? I want to ask you this question before you receive the Lord's Supper in just a moment. This is for born-again believers to receive this supper. And he's very clear about instructions on that. And then I also want to ask you, too, is there a sin in your life that you need to repent of right now that you need to deal with? There's some, something that's, that's domineering in your life that's taking over that you need to, to, to repent of right now and turn around and say, Lord, I don't want this in my life anymore and give it to Jesus. I'm going to be up here when we sing the last song and if you want to pray, um, our elders, Ryan and Mark, will be, be here as well. But we, we just want this to be a spirit, a time the spirit works and that we can seek the Lord in this time. As Mark comes now, we're going to receive the Lord's Supper. And I just want to again remind you, as I shared with you about this verse, I'm going to read to you the passage, and then we're going to invite you to come up and receive it. Um, I want to read to you this passage again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. If you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. I am grateful that the Lord gives us discipline. And I'm grateful that he loves us enough as his child to correct us when we need that correction. And this Lord's Supper reminds us of that. So search your heart. Are you fellowshipping with the Lord? Are you walking in intimacy? Are you confessing your sin before God? Does your life indicate a lifestyle that you love Jesus and you're living for him, obeying his commands? Are you seeking to live a pure life? Are you demonstrating love for other Christians? Are you maintaining a clear conscience? Are you walking the walk and talking the talk? And do you experience victory? We can know that we know. And I pray that you'll receive this supper in in the serious way that it's meant to be received. And that you'll receive it in the love that it's meant to be given to you as as a gift of love. This present right now in the present for us. Mark, will you come and guide us through this time?